Hello, and welcome again to Great Takes, Less Filling by The Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, go AU Fur, and I've got with me U Street. Hey, y'all. Unfortunately, we are bringing back uh, another edition of Great Takes, Less Filling that involves some frustrations uh, following the game at Purdue. Uh, I'm just going to turn it right over to Street and let him give some quick reactions to what he saw this evening. Yeah, that was that was really depressing. That's two Big Ten games in a row where, if we're being honest, the Gophers blew one. This one they blew relatively late after leading for a while. Uh, the second half, they made Eric Sindelar, uh, he of the low-budget Steven Seagal film villain, uh, look like a Hall of Fame first-round draft pick. Played incredibly well. Uh, and he played incredibly well, really, for no actual thing that the Gophers were throwing at him seemed to phase him whatsoever. So that was a bummer. Uh, the offense uh, gen- for the Minnesota generally didn't play tremendously well. Uh, but there's a general in there, because parts of it did play really well. One of the things that I liked that we saw... We saw some new running plays. We saw a new formation. It seems like there's more stuff coming in and that are being implemented. They're clearly trying to give their playmakers the ball in space. Unfortunately, today, and we'll probably cover this a little bit later, they didn't get the quarterbacking that they probably needed, and that led to a, a relatively depressing 31-17 uh, to 17 loss, coupled with kind of one of those interceptions for a pick six that you just sort of saw coming for about 15 minutes. That was that was my view uh, from my streaming service. Chris, what was your view? Uh, my view was, well, honestly, slightly obstructed by the fact that Purdue really needs to fundraise and complete their South End Zone project so that ultimately I have the ability to be on the north end zone and look at a scoreboard and have some sense of what's going on in the game. Uh, Produce scoreboard, not the best, not the easiest to have a good uh, sense of what's going on when you're uh, in row five in section 117 looking down in the field. Now, that said, I very much enjoyed ross Stadium for the most part. Um, but yeah, my, there were a couple plays where like, I wasn't sure if we got the first down and then the replay, they finally got me an angle that made it clear that, um, whoever I was or running back at the time was had squirted like five yards past the first down. Um, and I I really had no idea. Like all I knew is that he was diving towards me and that was about all I had. So, um, if you go to a game at Purdue and they have not completed their south end zone project and they still have the really old scoreboard do not if you want to be able to know exactly what's going on do not sit low on the north end zone on the plus side you will get to meet Goldie maybe Purdue Pete if you like being near soulless eyes Um, the cheerleaders are there it's a Minnesota section other fans will be with you Uh, I had a perfectly wonderful day there um I just couldn't really see what was going on. So my take um, after all that, my take really comes down to we scored, what, seven points off of four turnovers? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that's not going to cut it. I mean, and I mean, the, what else What else can I say? Like, we forced four turnovers. We, we did – we still won the turnover battle when it's all said and done. Um, 
and we just didn't capitalize. So I, I think, you know, there's a lot of good reasons for that in the sense of good reasons and explanation wise um, with how the offense struggled. But I had a hard, I would have a hard time piecing together a great explanation of what I saw because I didn't really see that much from my vantage point. Just enough to, to enjoy my day uh, and yet be frustrated when it was all said and done. Well, I suppose then, since you didn't really see anything, I don't know if you have a Necton of the Week. My Necton of the Week will be on defense. It's Carter Coughlin this week. He had five tackles, three of them solo. One and a half of those were sacks. Two and a half of them were tackles for loss. He was aggressive and in the backfield all game. I thought he had a really excellent performance. Definitely was an attack mentality all the time. And... Otherwise, the defense, the linebackers in general, had a pretty good game. But I think Carter Coughlin would have been the the standout for me. Uh, I have two Nectons of the week. Neither of them actually played football today. Uh, the first is Goldie Gopher, who is managed to make my day better uh, simply by being Goldie Gopher. There was a moment where some Purdue fans were kind of pestering him a little bit, um, slightly playfully, slightly annoyingly, while he was sitting with some gopher fans in the beat, in the front of the section. And he actually pretended to spit on his tail and tried to wipe it, pretended to wipe it on one of their faces. And the kid, <laughs> the kid didn't, the kid didn't know what to do with it. And it was a great, it was a great moment in mascot history. Um, the, the second one is, uh, the Purdue sophomore, uh, who saw me saw a tweet of mine that had been retweeted by Hammer and Rails lamenting the loss of my favorite gold gopher hat, which had gotten blown on top of one of the concession stands while I was attempting to get a photo of the in- incoming storm. Uh, he actually works on the cleanup crew at Ross Aid, and he offered if somebody would allow him to get a, a ladder tomorrow to actually go look and see if he could find it. And then he DM'd me if, if he was able to come up with my hat. So uh, I'm quite confident that won't come together. I'm certainly not holding my breath, but it was an extremely uh, generous gesture from a a really nice kid. Um, And we had a nice conversation at Mackey Arena while we were waiting. So those are my nectons of the the week for sure. Um, Goldie for being Goldie and uh, Ross for just being a a, a really cool, real cool Purdue kid. So I think we need to give a special shout out as well, and we'll cover this a little bit more in a second, to just the Purdue game environment in general. Uh, the Purdue bros, uh, we seem to be very cool with you. It seems as if you treated our correspondent on the ground quite well. We quite appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I actually really enjoyed uh, my day in Purdue. Um, I didn't get really get to spend any time on the main part of the campus or do any of the you know bar scene of West Lafayette or any of that stuff. Um, but the people around uh, that were around the tailgate and at the game, like it's, it was a good experience. I'm definitely going to be going back um, every year that uh, Minnesota is playing at Purdue every other every other season because it's a easy drive for me. Yes, but um, it's it's a, it's a good it's a good environment. It's a, it's a road trip worth taking uh, if you're close enough to make it easy. Would be my recommendation. Incidentally, I knew Purdue had their own airport. Um, for their aviation program, I did not realize it was large enough. That's where the um, Sun Country Charter was when we were driving out of town. Like huh. b- barely a mile and a half, maybe two miles from the stadium is where the air- their airport is, and the Sun Country Charter was sitting there. So I didn't realize that the opposing teams could fly in and out from that airport. Um, but at least if you're flying whatever Sun Country is running for them, uh, 
that's something that you can do. So that's a little interesting Purdue fact that I did not realize. Well, so here's a question, and, and this is somewhat coming from the blog, but it seems give you weren't able to uh, get to the bars. It seems like you probably weren't able to have a repeat of your golden college years. Uh, and it seems <laughs> as if some people in our fan base are lamenting some recent golden years. And so we have uh, on, on the comment thread right now, uh, this is Donnie312, I think, who has uh, what I'm going for the purpose of this blog to say is a serious and not sarcastic comment, which is an honest question. Do we really think this team, that is the University of Minnesota and Gulf, Golden Gophers, would have a better record with the previous staff still on board? And we were talking about this for a little bit before we started recording. We seem to have different views. Uh, so what is your view? Well, and I think I'm going to briefly clarify, um, for the purposes of what I'm thinking here, I'm going to make the assumption that basically everything about this season is the same in terms of the same guys are injured at the same time, um, the opponents we're facing all have the same injuries, makeups, suspensions, whatever. Um, my personal opinion is we probably have a better record right now. I have a sneaking suspicion that offensively we'd be in a slightly better shape because there wouldn't be a transition to a new um, a new system and a new style of doing things. So I think our running game I don't I don't think our offensive line would suddenly be better, but I think things would have would be slightly more cohesive um, to allow for a little more success. Uh, to be honest, I also suspect, uh, a couple of the players who are suspended on Minnesota side of things probably would not be suspended. Um, I don't want to get into the, you know, rumors of what may or may not be behind the suspension, but the little bit that I've heard has me thinking that the previous staff wouldn't be making the statement that the current staff is making, um, given that it's not year one for the, the previous staff. Um, so my thought is we're probably four and one at this point. That's my gut. I think, you know, there's a loss in there. You could argue maybe five and zero oh if the right things fell into place. The thing for me is that I, I've really begun to realize um, that there also I don't see that being a real positive for Minnesota. I, I think we'd be setting up for a bad tail end to the season. I think we'd be seeing a lot of difficult and trouble and warning signs that say things, okay, we're winning, but eh, goodness, this is just not where we need to be. And I think we'd be doing it in a scenario where we're talking about a staff that just finished signing, uh, you know, 67th ranked recruiting class and would have, you know, eight recruits committed at this point, And we'd be really shaping up for another lackluster class moving forward. In other words, I think we'd be at the edge of the precipice and things would not be shaping up to be good moving forward. Conversely, right now, I think we're struggling a little more. I think we're struggling in a way that definitely fits the year one scenario I was trying to warn people to watch out for. But I don't have a lot of concern for what this team will be moving forward. Now, that's not to say that I think we're suddenly going to be worlds different by the end of the year. Uh, and I'm certainly not trying to make predictions about what next season brings, but I don't have significant concerns about Fleck, his approach, or his staff 
based off of this two-game swing where we're frustrated because, honestly, a few things break differently, not even that many things break differently, and we're talking about being undefeated um, coming into the night game against Michigan State. But I know you have a slightly different take, so Street, kind of break down what you're thinking for me. I think if you take those assumptions, I actually think this team is 3-2 and two right now, and I think they lost the two Big Ten games in basically the exact same fashion. If I take a slightly different view, which is that everything about the season is would have been starting in like fall camp. Some people who transferred probably would not have transferred. That's a little bit unclear. They may have retired from football anyway, especially on the offensive line. But our injury situation would be different. Uh, I think it's actually pretty reasonable that they have also lost to Buffalo and Middle Tennessee State. And the reason why is uh, the Gophers offense last year was putrid. Really, really bad. And yes, Jay Sawville did a lot of great work at the end of the season. And people give him deservedly a lot of credit for the Gophers win at Washington State. But it feels to me as if a lot of people forgot that really there was no reason the Gophers should have won that game. Washington State just sort of shot themselves in the foot several times as well. More importantly, though, uh, other players would probably also have been healthy. So, for example, Brett Stocksdale probably would have played for Middle Tennessee State. Maryland probably would have had its first-string quarterback instead of its fourth-string quarterback. Purdue would likely not have had multiple key players suspended for at least a half. I share with you the agreement that certain players probably would have seen the field that wouldn't have otherwise. But also, as our fan base, I think, consistently lamented last year, there are a few players who probably wouldn't have seen the field very often uh, because of previous coaching staffs and previous regimes thinking about what constituted good. Uh, For example, anything related to the wide receivers. And I think it's hard to have this notion that we long for a staff that did, as you say, win a lot of games, but won a lot of games in ways that looked really bad. For example, we did almost lose to Rutgers last year. Rutgers. Jay Sawville was coaching the defense. He, Jay Johnson was running the offense. He'd still be running the offense if he was here now. Bart Miller was getting no push against Rutgers. He would still be coaching the offensive line now. And that, to me, is what's sort of strange about this. We went through a coaching transition for a couple of reasons. One, the obvious one, the problems that occurred in December, and the handling of that by that coaching staff. But also, I think everyone was generally under the view that if Tracy Clays had won, let's say, seven games instead of nine, he would have been let go by Mark Coyle anyway. There was always a view to make a change, and it seems that when Kill left, a lot of other things also left at the same time. And so I think your last point makes uh, is really important. That is, the way the coaching staff and the team would probably look right now would be very scary, and scary potentially in a Brewster-esque sort of way, which is they're winning a lot of games, but they're doing it very badly, there isn't really a whole lot there at the core, and there's no optimistic prospects for the future. Yeah, I think that's the big thing for me, is it just... Even in my rosy scenario, I don't feel like it's setting up for a success. I feel like it's setting up for a big slide at the end of the year and future seasons that just do not shape out right. Um, 
you know, I, I can't say I know what's going to happen with the rest of this year. The The fun thing about the rest of this year is that Illinois, still pretty bad. Um, and by pretty bad, I mean really bad. And honestly, the rest of the Big Ten West, not necessarily looking great on any given day. Um, so could could we, you know, still go bowling, steal a couple uh, games that maybe we don't think are winnable right now? Yeah, I totally think that could happen. Is it going to happen? I have no idea. Uh, that, and, then, you know, that's frustrating. I think it's frustrating to, to when we feel like legitimately we should be one game away at this point from bowl eligibility, which I think is kind of the level that almost everybody would just be okay with. It's year one, and I think some of the things that we were worried could happen, or at least I was worried could happen, have happened. And here we are, and we're still improving, and we're still fighting. Not... Uh, not necessarily still improving, but we're still working towards getting better, and we'll see how that goes the rest of the year. So on something that was hopefully a little bit more fun for you, I think we can talk about you were our live correspondent in West Lafayette, <laughs> which means I have, I have several questions for you. Okay. The first one is, what is the tailgate situation in West Lafayette, Indiana? It's actually kind of what you'd expect, at least from where I tailgated. I tailgated on the intramural fields. Um, and so it's just, you know, big open grassy space uh, right there for you to set up. Uh, a little stand of trees here or there, but for the most part, you know, it's exactly what you'd think. Um, worked great. Uh, you know, they seem to have, you know, a pretty good system going on. The nice thing was, is honestly, those around us were really friendly. The Purdue fans nearby were really friendly. Uh, we had Minnesota fans roll through, say hello. It was a good time. Uh, I, I really appreciate that it was a 3.30 kick. It meant that we could take our, our leisurely time coming up from Indi- Indianapolis. Didn't have to get in quite as early. Um, it had been a long week of work, but I, I enjoyed it. It was a simple walk, 20-minute walk, not even, uh, over to the stadium. You could see the stadium from, from the intramural field, which is kind of nice. Uh, Purdue has a water tower that would be the envy of all Iowa fans because they actually have their logo on it. Um, <laughs> that's all I could think about. Every time I saw that water tower, I'm like, boy, Iowa fans really wish they had a water tower like that. And that's the most stereotypical Midwest thing on both sides of that. <laughs> oh, man, these people really wish they had a water tower. Also, I'm really thinking about a water tower. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, because I, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Iowa fans, like, they lament that they have the water tower that you can see in from most of the stands in Kinnick, and it's never been painted with the Hawkeye logo, apparently. That just seems like an oversight. Like, the way that they feel about the water tower is the way that Purdue fans feel that about finally having lights on their stadium. Dude, you don't understand. Like, talking to Purdue fans, they really are so, so happy that the AD finally put in lights. Because this game wouldn't have happened. It's, like, it wouldn't have been a 3.30 kick. Because there's no way that ESPN would want to waste the money to try to bring lights in for half of a game. And so it would have been an early kick, which, I mean, weather-wise would have worked out slightly differently. But ultimately, like... And what I realized was, is as the, obviously Minnesota loses, that's not ideal. Um, but right after the game, like literally the second the game ended, it looked like the power went out. 
And it was actually, they had set up a lighting program that made the lights around the stadium flash like flashbulbs like, or fireworks at, like kind of as a celebration. And I thought, oh, that's cool. I didn't realize they did that when they won. And then I realized a couple things. First of all, first season with the lights. Second of all, actually, you know what? No, I, 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 I'm about to correct myself. I was going to say this is the first win under the lights for them. But I forgot that the Ohio game, they played the Ohio game as a Friday night game. So this is probably the second time they've gotten to do that. But, like, seriously, they've said, like, it's a thing. Like, the lights can do, and I'm sure they're all excited about it. And I don't blame them because, like, they never got to host night games, really, for the most part. Because they were never good enough, so none of the TV providers would pay for it. So It's nice to know that Purdue has officially entered the 20th century when it involves electricity. <laughs> Yeah, man, they, the old AD was apparently like, oh my God, we'll never spend that money. It's only $3 million or $6 million, but we can't possibly afford that. The, 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 TV, the TV channels, ESPN or Big Ten Network will bring those for us. Pfft. It's just asinine. Like, bring your own lights. It's the lamest party. Yeah, so Purdue fans are understandably and rightfully excited by having lights. Um, and frankly, I would be too. Like it's, it's a nice place to, I, I like Ross aid stadium. It, they desperately need the South end zone expansion. There's some, there's some kind of weird access issues coming in from the South. Um, as far as accessing the main concourse, but I love that old design. I love that horseshoe design a lot. Um, I forgot how much I loved it until I was there. And, it's a cool little and it can get pretty loud too like if you're on the north end it can get pretty loud with the band there um you know so i'm excited i hope they can raise the money and make it make that extra step and get the new scoreboard that i can actually see so i can sit anywhere in the stadium and actually get to watch (laughs) the game because that was my only real downside i was like god we i was excited i realized the scoreboard was on the opposite side and i wouldn't have to turn around and then i realized how tiny and old the scoreboard was and i'm like oh this isn't gonna work out at all uh, so, uh, so speaking of things that don't work at all, uh, because you were our man on the ground, uh, you were a man in West Lafayette and you were tailgating, uh, I'm also led to believe that you may have forgotten some key items that are usually required uh, via tailgating. And I know this is both an audio medium and therefore no one could see the picture that I'm looking at right now, uh, <laughs> or for that matter has access to our Slack channel. But if you did, Imagine for yourself, Chris, sitting, using a borrowed plastic fork, because who needs tongs? And so I, I ask you, what, uh, what is the worst thing that you forgot for your tailgate? Well, rather than go worse, let me just kind of run down the list of things that were not uh, brought with for this tailgate. Uh, and before I start, I should note that uh, Andy, GopherGuy05, runs the tailgate in Minnesota, does an excellent job, and apparently my skills have significantly atrophied with just complete lack of use. Um, so, uh, no tongs for the brats, uh, no wand lighter to get the grill started, uh, did have propane, so that would have probably been the worst thing to forget, did not have any utensils plates of any kind uh did have paper towels but forgot i had paper towels that were elsewhere in the car from where i expected them to be 
So was borrowing napkins and paper towels. So the fine, the fine, wonderful Purdue folks around us provided the plastic forks that became my cooking utensil, which is not quite sufficient, uh, the wand lighter that I needed, uh, and all the plates and napkins and other utensils that we would need to not make a mess of ourselves. <laughs> so, you know, outside of that, I mean... Sounds like you brought everything. Yeah, I mean, had chairs, had, had bocce, had, uh, you know, tunes, had... Wait, you brought drinks. bocce, but you didn't bring tongs or lighters? <laughs> well, I didn't bring bocce. My friend brought bocce. Oh, okay. I, I thought I thought you you were you were you were putting things in the car. I was like, all right, I got the bocce set. We're good to go. <laughs> well, <laughs> Don't worry I, you know, else. honestly, from my tailgating perspective, bocce is one of the most important items. So that that wouldn't be completely you know unexpected that I might pull something like that. <laughs> and and to top it off, the people next to us had this, you know, those little fluffy bear puppies, like the, the little puppies that look like they're little bears. I do, yes. Yeah, they had one of those too. So, which I I don't know what it is about those puppies, but they look perpetually extremely happy. So it's hard to be in a bad mood on a day when you get to meet a puppy that looks like it's constantly happy. You get to meet Goldie Gopher. Like really, I mean. Yeah, we lost. Okay, that stinks. I'm actually going to try to finally write the post that I meant to write like three years ago about, you know what? If the only thing that makes you happy about football is whether we win or lose, you're doing it wrong. I think this is going to be the game that I write that because like, you know what? I'm, I'm frustrated. It stinks. I don't like that we lost, but I got to hang out with a friend that I never get to hang out with. I got to see Goldie. I got to meet nice people. You know, like, you just gotta, you gotta find a way to take some joy out of other things in life than whether we won or lost. Because if you, if if you're a Minnesota fan and you make your weekend depend solely on whether Minnesota wins or loses, and I mean any Minnesota sport, that's, it's a long life, friends. You, You just gotta find your way, find your way into having a good time with, with something else if you can, like. Doesn't mean you have to give in to mediocrity or embrace mediocrity or whatever. It just means give yourself some balance. You'll be you'll be happier in the long run. So I'm I'm perhaps going to I'm perhaps going to make your uh, your night a little bit worse then because as we mentioned <laughs> earlier, because you were in the stands and in a part of the stadium that is not particularly well constructed, you didn't see a whole lot of things, which means we also discovered at the beginning of this podcast that you don't actually necessarily know the final outcome of various players. Is this true? Yeah, I actually don't know final stat lines for anybody on Minnesota. Um, and so if we, we're going to play guess the stat line now, Alex is going to ask me questions about the stat lines and I'm going to be horrendously wrong because I have no idea. I didn't look. All right, so I'm, I'm going to start with an easy one. Did any of the running backs on Minnesota rush for more than 100 yards? I'm going to say no. So we are 0 for 1. Shannon Brooks did, in fact, he went 18 carries for 116 yards with a long of 40. I'll, I'll note, too, that the, the long Shannon Brooks run that put them first and goal on my end of the stadium uh, right before the end of, um, oh, goodness, 
that would have been that would that would have been in the middle of the second quarter, I guess. Um, after the Kamal Martin interception in the end zone, ran to the restroom. Uh, the other thing that Purdue needs to do is improve the quality of the uh, broadcast of what's going on in the restrooms. <laughs> I go in and we have first and first and ten on the twenty. And I've barely been in there, and all of a sudden, there I think it says first and goal, Minnesota, and I'm very confused because I've only been in the restroom for like forty five seconds, seemingly, and now I'm like rushing out because I'm like, wait, is that what he said, or am I confused, or what's going on? And I I come out of the concourse and we have the ball on the nine, and I don't really know how that happened. So. Um, Purdue, I, I would like you to get a new scoreboard. I would like you to put real speakers in your bathrooms so restroom breaks can be informative as well as, you know, needed. Um, so, these okay, are awesome. Dr- these, I, are dramatically, uh, these are dramatically nicer recommendations than Jim Harbaugh. I just, oh, Jim Harbaugh. Jeez. Uh, so, so second question here. This is uh, this is a really good example of why you should pay attention to distributions and not uh, just basic statistics or moments. Rodney Smith ran for 88 yards in this game. He did it on 21 carries. And that, if you do the math, comes out to a little over four yards a carry. However, if you were to remove his long run of 51 yards, so he now has 20 carries. What was his average? Was it was it less than two yards or more than two yards? I would have to guess less than two yards, given how unsuccessful we seem to be. Was indeed less than two yards. So we are one of two and eight, one point eight five yards a carry. And uh, for those watching at home, Rodney Smith was almost undoubtedly running the inside zone. So the way that they are currently operating the fake, uh, the fly sweep or the fake fly sweep inside zone is that Shannon Brooks is the person doing the fly sweep, uh, which is great. But it is sort of strange in that Brooks is dramatically more of a bruiser. I know he hates the bash name, so I'm not going to give it to that. But he does like to fall forward. He's definitely willing to aggressively fight through contact. Rodney Smith is much more of someone who is going to make you feel so, so bad about yourself in open space because he's going to do a great deke or a great spin move. And it is a little bit weird to me that they are running the fly sweep for Brooks instead of Smith for this reason. So question number three, and the next couple are for Connor Rhoda. Connor Rhoda attempted... 25 passes in this game. How many did he complete? 13. You are overly optimistic about Connor Rutter's performance in this game. He completed 11 of them. For how many yards? Well, I remember from the Slack chat that he had 14 yards passing and two touchdowns after Minnesota had 14 points. Hmm... Let's say, oh goodness, I don't know, 110. Also overly optimistic about Gunnar Rota's performance. He finished with 101. And actually, uh, I, should, two... I should probably think that through. If he only had 11 completions and he's usually getting about 8 a completion, I was way high there. 
Yeah, it was uh, it was not a great performance uh, from Connor Rota. What was particularly strange about this game, and I don't know if it was the field, I don't know if it was something about how he was feeling pressure, I'm not sure if he just was having a bad day. Rota's mechanics in this game were strange. He was frequently throwing off his back foot. He was also frequently taking much longer drops. Perhaps that's because it takes a while for routes to develop, which is something that, if true, should change. But it also seemed that in his effort to uh, let his receivers have time, instead of taking his 3-5-7 looking and going if he didn't have a read and just scrambling out of the pocket, he really wanted to stay in that pocket, and so he kept drifting farther and farther back. Some of his incompletions, uh, and even the amazing completion, and I say amazing because it shouldn't have happened, to still at the end of the game were a result of Conor Rota underthrowing receivers because he wasn't stepping fully into the throw and was sort of trusting that his arm could get there. And as we said before, Rota has a cannon. He's not Brett Favre. This was quite frustrating to watch. Uh, so ESPN has a proprietary quarterback ranking system that's probably garbage but does have a nice number to it. And so it's between 0 and 100. And I'm going to divide that by 4. So it could be in the lowest quartile, middle, you know, upper, top quartile, Chris. Where is Connor Rhoda's performance? So I will admit that we actually had a slight discussion about this particular stat in advance, so I'm getting this right because I know the answer. Uh, he was in the lowest quartile. What was his quarterback ranking? 4.4. Out of 100. That's pretty bad. It's really bad. Even on a garbage scale that I don't trust in any way, that's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, And so, uh, conversely, Purdue changed quarterbacks in the second half. They went to uh, the, again, aforementioned, low-budget Steven Seagal villain. What was his quarterback ranking? Again, one of the four quartiles. Oh, see, now you're getting to something I don't know. Um, I'm going to say he'd be in the third quartile. He very barely is in the top quartile, but I'll give that to you. His QBR is apparently a 75.9. Sindelar finished 19 of 26 for 248 yards and a touchdown, and that more or less is the difference. Uh, We can certainly... Uh, not place all the responsibility on quarterbacks because we shouldn't because football is a team game and much like how quarterbacks get too much credit when things go well, they get too much blame when things go badly. It's certainly a result of the offensive line. It's a result of receivers, it's a lot of a whole other thing. But if you had to boil it down, Purdue was able to pass the ball. They finished with 307 yards total. They were able to pass the ball with Sindelar. They were able to run the ball. They ran the ball for, as a team for 29 times for 132 yards and a touchdown. Minnesota was sort of able to run the ball in that they had a couple of explosive plays that vastly inflate their stats because if you remove them, they ran the ball 45 times for like 130 yards, which isn't that great. Uh, but they certainly weren't able to pass the ball. And ultimately, if you want to know why they lost 31-17, to well, you do that even if you win the turnover battle. If your offense cannot capitalize on those turnovers, you will be unsuccessful. And that seems to have been how this game finished off. The other thing that happened 
in this game, again, to, to our man on the ground in West Lafayette, uh, is, is that it may have rained a little bit, gotten a little bit of lightning. Was that correct? Uh, that's correct. What did you do during the weather delay? Uh, first, they evacuated us through the football field. They tried to tell us we couldn't be on the football field. You can imagine how well that worked for everybody. Uh, everybody walked on the football field and took photos of themselves doing it while they ran away from the storm. <laughs> I will include myself in that in that uh, in that cohort. Um, I, I we went to Mackey Arena, um, and thank God they turned on the air conditioning after we'd been in there about ten minutes. Uh, it needed it. It was getting a little toasty, a little toasty and Mackey, um, which is a cool arena that I will definitely go back to in February. Uh, if we want a hot take, I will give a hot take. I think they waited too long to evacuate the stadium. I think if they hadn't been waiting to see if Purdue could get that field goal, they would have evacuated sooner because it was a mere three minutes from the time that the field goal went through the uprights to when the rain came pouring down. And given the the way that storm was, the lightning had to be right there too. So, I do think if I if I was to to toss out a nuclear hot take, I would say there may have been a little bit of home field. Like let's let them try to get some points before we cancel, you know, for an hour and a half. Um, but outside of that, I mean, it, it's not like Minnesota wouldn't do the same thing. So, unlike Jim Harbaugh, I'm not gonna you know <laughs> try to claim some massive. Uh, problem with player and fan safety. I'll just say, quality gamesmanship, Purdue. Well played. Should we end on that? Yeah, why not? I mean, I've, I've. It seems like ultimately I'm complimenting Purdue, which has been my thing for today. Because, you know, I had a good time. Like I said, folks, if uh, Purdue, I mean, I wouldn't make it like your, you know, fly across the country road trip game, but. You know what? You live in the Midwest. It's relatively easy to get to. I would recommend going. I had a good time. The people are friendly. Uh, it, you know, ultimately it'll be it'd be nicer if we're better or um, you know they weren't so entertaining. Because, but at the same time, you know, good fo- entertaining football is good football, and hopefully Minnesota is a little more entertaining offensively in two years when I when I go back. And on that, I guess we will end this edition of Great Takes Less Filling. Hope everybody is having a good, uh, ultimately this will post on Sunday, so hope everybody's having a good Sunday. Again, find something that makes you happy. Don't get too hung up on the game. Everything will be all right, I promise you. Uh, and with that, go Gophers, Sky Ima, row the boat. Oh.